Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Game. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be back after a nice long holiday break, continuing our fourth season of the show, our first episode of 2023 of the Keeper of the Games podcast, your favorite podcast covering Wichita sports. I am Blake Cripps, joined once again by Tommy Castor. You can find us in all the normal spots, cogsports.com, facebook.com slash keeper of the games at cogpod on Twitter and cogpod.podomatic.com. Of course, the videos on YouTube or our Facebook page. The audio is almost everywhere. Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, so many other options. Tommy, it's been a while, sir. How was your Christmas and how is 2023 treating you and the casters? Yeah, things are good. Uh, No complaints here. Good to see you. It looks like uh, over the holidays, you have decided to grow a little beard, uh, a little bit. which I'm definitely in support of. I always like it when you grow the big manly, like sure. lumberjack beard out. Um, so I, I hope this one lasts for a while for you. We'll see. Uh, so here's the deal. Um, so I didn't, I, I went home and I meant to shave. I was going to shave for Christmas and I didn't bring my razor when I went home mm. to Burlingame. So I came back with a game to do on New Year's Eve. And so I decided, you know what? I'm not shaving until Newman men's and women's basketball gets swept in a broadcast that I'm doing. Wow. Okay. It's fairly esoteric, but that's okay. Uh, we've got game uh, as people are watching this, we've got games tonight. There'll be tough ones against Missouri Western. And then on Saturday, the number four Northwest Missouri men are coming. Uh, Northwest okay. women, they're having a down year. Uh, so, you know, the M- Newman men and Missouri Western, that should be a good game. Missouri Western women, they're playing pretty well, but so is Newman. Uh, our women are, have gotten two out of the last three games have been wins. So I think we got a shot to keep this through the end of the week. We'll see. Also, before we start into the topics, we're talking plenty of Sugar Bowl today. We are talking plenty of Liberty bowl today basketball fans don't worry we're gonna get back to you next week it's gonna be all hoops from here on out but we are going through the end of college football in our season in review for kansas state and ku but tommy you also you know decided man i just i need to fill my time with something and announced that caster number four is on the way your second child coming up soon congratulations yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're expecting another little boy in June. Um, So my wife is going to be uh, surrounded by boys. Uh, And so I'm not exactly sure that she she knows how to feel about that. Uh, (laughs) But that's all right. It's going to be fun. We're looking forward to it. Well, congrats to you and Morgan. As I mentioned, we're going to talk Sugar Bowl in a little bit. We're going to talk Liberty Bowl in a little bit. But first... We must talk about the NFL playoffs in which the Chiefs have grabbed the number one seed with a comfortable 31-13 win over the Raiders on Sunday to end the season on a five-game winning streak. The Chiefs have won 10 of their last 11. Tommy, normally you would say that stat and think, man, you know, how excited am I about how the Chiefs are playing right now? Yet another AFC West title, yet another AFC West champion, or AFC, you know, number one seed, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. They have shown, these Kansas City Chiefs, a disturbing trend to play down to their competition during this stretch. 
lackluster wins over Denver twice, lackluster win over Houston. Kind of a actually a pretty bad, poorly played game by Kansas City that they just happened to squeak out because Houston is nothing at all. The Chiefs did click pretty well against Las Vegas, though, this last time out. The defense had one of its better performances of the year. The offense was crisp. There were no mistakes. It was exactly the kind of win that a skeptical Chief fan would want to see going into the postseason. Look, I feel okay about Kansas City entering the playoffs. Um, I feel relatively confident. I'm not over the moon confident in Kansas City. But I will say that my... Uh, my anxiety factor towards Kansas city is a lot lower than it was even as recently as a couple of weeks ago. And I think the two games that had helped kind of alleviate that number one, as you mentioned, the final game against the Raiders where Kansas city looked pretty complete in all phases of the game. And then the Christmas Eve game against the Seahawks uh, in Arrowhead. I, I thought that they played pretty well in that game too. Very solid. Really. My, my biggest concerns had been, Number one, the defense, and I think that when you stack up the Kansas City defense as it compares to other teams in the conference and what their defenses look like, I think Kansas City's is at best middle of the road and at worst one of the more poor defenses in the conference that of teams that made the playoffs. Uh, and then also special teams. I think those were kind of the two concerns that I had. We talked on this podcast about the Chiefs' tendency to turn the ball over. I don't necessarily feel as concerned about that going into the playoffs as much because I think that they've shown that they can tighten that part of it up. It hasn't been a huge problem the last month or so. It hasn't been. That was more of a middle of the season. They're just turning the ball over way too much. So I'm not as concerned about that. But, you know, I I think that what I really want to see from Kansas City is, number one, consistently cleaning up the special teams miscues and also playing consistent defense. They don't have to play elite top-level defense to win this conference. And I, I would In even fact, venture Tommy, to say... They, they won't. Right. And I, I venture to say that they don't necessarily need to play top-level elite defense to win another championship. They need to play good defense and consistent defense to where they are able to then, of course, lean on the offense. The problem that we've seen with this team... And you mentioned the Texans game. And I listened to that game on the radio for most of it to Mitch Holtis. Got home in time to watch the fourth quarter in overtime. The biggest issue with Kansas City was that the offense had stalled out. They were not able to move, to move the ball. They couldn't get into the end zone. And when that happens and the offense stalls out, you're putting that much more pressure on the Kansas City defense. And I'm telling you right now, it's not a defense that can live up to that. No, this is not your 2018 Kansas City Chiefs that had a pretty solid defense. I think probably the best with Patrick Mahomes by far. Uh, and But when you've got Mahomes under center, who continues to etch his name into history, breaking the all-time yardage record from Drew Brees, he did have one extra game to do it. All these records are going to fall eventually because of that extra game, because of NFL greed. But Mahomes goes into the postseason, four straight games with a passer rating over 100. He's thrown 69% or better in three of those four games, over 60% completion in four of five. Last four games, eight touchdowns, one INT, two rushing touchdowns. Mahomes obviously is the most important part of the offense, but he is playing exceptionally well right now. I'm not sure if he's going to win the MVP this year, but I do think he's the best quarterback this year. He will. 
yeah, he's going to win the MVP. He's the odds-on favorite. Um, and, and there's not another player. And we all know it's going to be a quarterback. That's just the way the NFL works. It will be a quarterback to win the MVP. Why award. even have it as MVP? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Call it's, it the MVQ and right. let's just move on. We Stupid. know it's going to be a quarterback. Uh, and when you look at the competition around Patrick Mahomes in the AFC, Josh Allen cooled off some down the stretch. Uh, Justin Herbert uh, was injured. He cooled off significantly. Team not good Joe enough. Burrow, Joe Burrow came on late, but Joe Burrow didn't have a great start to the season. Correct. And what Patrick Mahomes has done, uh, and of course, we know the media, you and I are both in that world. We know the media, they love a good story. They love a good narrative. And the story and the narrative all season long has been, how is Patrick Mahomes going to adjust without Tyreek Hill? Well, well I'm sorry. He's pretty well, pretty damn well. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, having the best season of his career and, you know, Kansas City finishing 14 and three with the number one seed in the AFC with the completely retooled wide receiver room. And oh, I'm sorry. Uh, the fact that he was able to lead Kansas City to that record after losing one of the best wide receivers in the game right now, it's remarkable. And Patrick Mahomes didn't miss a single beat. In fact, I would argue that losing Tyreek Hill made Patrick Mahomes a better quarterback because it forced him to look at a bunch of different guys and find different ways to complete passes, whether that was to newcomers like Kadarius Toney and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, or even guys out of the backfield like Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. Uh, He was able to do that. And of course, all reliable Travis Kelsey, who is the best tight end to ever play the game. So Patrick Mahomes, it cannot be overstated the value that he brings to the Kansas City Chiefs this year over any other year he's played for Kansas City. And he's also won a previous MVP, but he is that much more valuable to Kansas City than anybody, any other player in the entire league. Uh, And so he's going to be the runaway winner of that award. Rushing attack has been a bit hit or miss for Kansas City, but they did have 160-plus against the Raiders and the Texans. Denver shut down KC twice. Seahawks did a relatively good job against the red and gold as well. It'd be great to get more there in the running game, but it's definitely been more of a weapon in the second half of the year, and Jarek McKinnon has certainly solidified himself as the number two option as CEH continues to fade into memory and you know disuse. McKinnon still seems more like a wide receiver than a running back today. He's third on the team in catches second in receiving touchdowns behind only Kelsey. What a find this guy has been. And I think he's one of the reasons. He doesn't do the same things that Tyreek Hill did. He's not going to just beat guys down the field, but he's got speed. And Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid, they have put Patrick Mahomes in a position to use his speed, and it's been very, very effective this year in this offense. Yeah, what I love seeing, even though the, the running attack has been hit or miss, what I love seeing is Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy playing to the strengths of the running backs that they have. Jarek McKinnon is a pass-catching running back. And so rather than trying to, to rather than trying to fit him into a mold to do something differently, they've embraced that and they've utilized it in a really good way. Um, I'm not sure there's been a better combination as far as shovel passes are concerned in the NFL <laughs> in between Patrick Mahomes and Jarek McKinnon. So they've, Somewhere they've utilized Mark him. Somewhere Mark is smiling. Yeah, they've utilized him in a way uh, that fits him and fits his style really well. Same thing with Isaiah Pacheco. They have not tried to make Isaiah Pacheco into something that he is not. He's a bruising runner, running back, and he runs so angry 
so hard with so much force that they've just said, you know what, run through the tackles and that's going to be your main role. And it's worked. So even though you're not ever going to call what Kansas City does running the football this season as an elite running game, it works for them. It fits in nicely. And you know what? Um, We've talked about it on this program before about what the future holds for Clyde Edwards-Elair. The running attack is better without him. Uh, They have fit these pieces in a nice way with McKinnon and Pacheco uh, to a point to where they don't need Clyde Edwards E. Lair. This and is the they're, future. They're more effective. They're more yeah. effective without him, unfortunately. Yeah. Bye bye. You were you were I mean, listen, wasn't a not a bad guy. I mean, just not good enough. Just yeah. not good enough, as you mentioned. And not good enough for a first round pick. You know, no. you, well I mean, you, you know, at the end of the him, day, right? you've 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 got to perform. It doesn't matter what pick you are. Can you play or can you not play at this point? You're not good enough to be the starting running back. You're just not. Yeah. So you, you got to go at this point. Um, you know, defensively for the Chiefs, three straight positive performances, at least where they graded out statistically as being positive. I did not think that they were too impressive against the Broncos, but Seattle scored just 10. The Raiders scored just 13. One of those scores by Las Vegas was very late. As we mentioned earlier, this is not going to be the defense that won the Chiefs the Super Bowl that year, but. The question is, can Nick Bolton, LeJarius Sneed, and Willie Gay be good enough? And a guy that we don't say his name enough on this show is Stone Cold Chris Jones. He had an incredible season with 15 and a half sacks, 29 hits. Frank Clark with a solid five-sack season. I liked what I saw to George Karloftis as well, but there are some pieces on this defense. Can they get hot? Put pressure on the quarterback. There are so many times when the Chiefs just rush four, and I wonder, you know, I don't have access to the rushing stats in terms of the defense, how often they blitz or not, but Chris Jones has been extremely disruptive. Bolton has been solid, and, and Frank Clark has been better. Can Frank Clark get hot for a playoff run like he did a couple of years ago? If he can, that might be the X factor. I noticed this down the stretch, and uh, this wasn't the the Raiders game. I want to say it was. No, I'll tell you, it was exactly. I know which game it was. It was the Seahawks game on Christmas Eve, and I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look up the number of sacks that Kansas City's defense had in that game. There were a few of them. They played a really, really good defensive outing against Seattle on Christmas Eve, and I remember in watching that game what was so remarkable to me: the number of coverage sacks that this defense had. They weren't necessarily blitzing a ton. Uh, They were, and it's credit to the secondary, they were covering the Seahawks receivers pretty well and only rushing four, maybe five, and those guys were getting to Geno Smith. And so I think that bodes well. I mean, of course, you always equate sacks to the number of blitzes that a team dials up, and that's great, and that's true, but when you've got you know a decent enough secondary dropping back and covering the receivers well enough to where the quarterback doesn't have a lot of time uh, to be able to find somebody, and he can't find anybody open, and then you it allows your front four to be able to get pressure, I think that's great. Uh, you mentioned Chris Jones. It was midway through the season. I threw 20 bucks down on Chris Jones to win defensive player of the year. And the odds were like plus 2,500, uh, at the time, which I thought was incredible. I thought those, that was incredible odds. That's a lot of money on the table. Potentially. I don't think he's going to win. I think Nick Bosa will probably win. 
uh, the the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. I think Bosa has 18 some sacks. But the fact that Nick Bosa, and I don't want to take anything away from him, but the fact that Nick Bosa is an edge rusher and Chris Jones is coming through the middle, through the tackles, and it's was different. able to get 15. It's, it's a different position entirely. And I would argue maybe more difficult because you are sure. always lined up against somebody where if you're on the edge, you're not always lined up against somebody uh, directly opposite of you. Uh, and the other thing I'll say too, is that Nick Bosa plays for the 49ers who have probably the number one defense in the NFL. And he's a key piece of that. Don't get me wrong, but Chris Jones without him, think of how poor the Kansas city defense oh, would be. There'd be and problems. So, he, when you want to talk about a value player, like a, if an, an MVP defensively, and I know it's different, like for the defensive player of the year, you're not talking about who's most valuable to the team. But I would argue Chris Jones is more valuable to Kansas City's average defense than Nick Bosa is to the elite defense that San Francisco has. Just a quick correction two sacks against Seattle in that game, but the Chiefs had seven quarterback hits in that game yeah. as a defense. And who had four of them? That would be Chris Jones. So the Chiefs have earned a first round by any commentary on this possible scenario in which the Bills, if the Chiefs are playing them, that will not be at Arrowhead Stadium. It will end the streak of AFC championships played at Arrowhead Stadium, of course, because of the Bills-Bengals cancellation. Well, first off, my hot take and my bold prediction is I don't think that's going to happen because I think that we're going to see the Bills and the Bengals because. play each other in the divisional round. I think the Bengals will beat the Bills, and I think that they'll end up in the AFC Championship game. Um, I'm really bullish on Cincinnati. Um, they're really good. And I agree. And not to take anything away from Buffalo, but I know that game was really, really early when it was called uh, with the unfortunate and tragic situation with DeMar Hamlin. But Cincinnati looked really good early in that game, too, against Buffalo. Uh, and so it's going to be, assuming it's those two teams facing off in the divisional round. But that's um, what I would pick, for I sure. Would, I think that's probably what we're going to see. Um, I think it's going to end up being just a knockdown, drag-out fight between those two teams. Um, two high-level football teams. But I, I, w- I think the Bengals can win and will win sure. against Buffalo. So I don't think that's going to happen. If it does, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's going to be a bummer to not have. And this is, again, assuming that Kansas City makes it to the AFC Championship sure. game. They've got to win in what? their division. Uh, Kansas round City? Choke? Are you suggesting what? that I'm Kansas just, City could underperform in the I, playoffs? I'm, I'm just hedging my bets here a little bit and, and wow. saying that. But but look, if that doesn't happen and they don't, they're in the game, but they don't get to play at Arrowhead, That that's a bummer. But I was more concerned about them not getting a bye. Because at least when you get a buy, that's a 100% guarantee that you're that's moving on to the next round. If you don't get the buy and you're playing, you know, what, whatever the, the Jaguars or the Dolphins, the other you're going to be favored, but there's still a slight chance they can upset you. Sure. The only time you're going to get a 100% odds is if you get a buy. So I was most concerned about that. Everything else d- didn't really matter that much to me. Chiefs will play the Jaguars or the Chargers if the games play to chalk. If the Bills or Bengals lose in this round, the Ravens or the Dolphins will be the Chiefs' opponent. Chiefs beat the Chargers twice, but they were pretty squirmy wins for Kansas City. Chiefs won comfortably over the Jaguars, did not play Miami or Baltimore this season. Last word on the Chiefs, personally... I'm not sure I really want to see the Chargers again. Yeah, no, I, I'm rooting for the for the Jaguars for sure, uh, and Trevor Lawrence. And you know what they they didn't play great against Kansas City earlier in the season, but 
They did come on still strong as game. of late. Yeah, they still came on strong as of late. Uh, I, I think Doug Peterson is doing nice things down there in the development of Trevor Lawrence. That's why they brought him there. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for the Jags. Uh, the Chargers, I think the only silver lining facing them is that they're fairly banged up. Uh, and Mike Williams, who torched the Chiefs uh, yeah. in the last matchup. Po- to is, put it politely. He's injured, and I don't know if he's playing against the Jags and don't know what his status would be for the divisional round potentially. So that would be the only silver lining in facing L.A. So, Chiefs, enjoy the week off. Chiefs fans, enjoy the week off. We'll get started with the playoffs here in a couple of weeks, and we'll have reaction for the Chiefs' first playoff game on our next episode of the Keeper of the Games podcast. Coming up next, Kansas State back in a big-time bowl game in the Sugar Bowl. It was a great start for Kansas State. They led 10 to nothing, but Alabama scores 35 unanswered points, including outscoring Kansas State 28 to 3 in the middle two quarters on the way to a 45-20 victory in the Sugar Bowl. Deuce Vaughn showed out for K-State, 22 carries, 133 yards and a score, but Will Howard looked more like last year's Will Howard, 210 yards passing, two interceptions, and Tommy, at the end of the day, Alabama dominated the last 45 minutes of the game. Yeah, that's tough. Um and it's not the outcome that anybody uh that that roots for K-State wanted. Honestly, it's not a result that anybody who is anti-SEC wanted. Um, not only that game, <laughs> sure. but the national championship also uh, with TCU. And I think that they're, I think you know, and I, I'm one of these people, and I don't know if you are, um, but I know there are a lot of folks out there that are so pro Big Twelve, and it was like, okay, like I just want to see Kansas State be able to hang with Alabama, and I really want TCU to be able to hang with Georgia, and. I think, and I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to admit to this. I think that I threw out all the data. I think that I threw out all the stats and it was just wishful thinking, you know, and crossing my fingers and like, yeah, I think that Kansas state will win. I think the TCU will win. Wasn't the case. Uh, The SEC in general right now is head and shoulders above, above everybody else. Um, they're, football, the class, yeah. they're the class of college football without a doubt. And that disparity remains. Uh, but, but regardless, it was great for Kansas state to be on that stage for the first time in a long time, taking on Nick Saban's squad. It was a great showcase for Deuce Vaughn, who is NFL bound. And I think that this is just the beginning for Kansas state football with the fact that Chris Kleiman looks to be locked in there long-term and the even the early commitments they've gotten from the transfer portal and then the National Signing Day class, which I know you don't care about, but regardless, I do. I, um, I do think that this program is on solid footing moving forward. And while they are losing some key roles like um, Deuce Vaughn and I think Julius Brintz declared for the draft and um, I think Felix Anaduke Uzama declared for the draft, like they're losing some big pieces but I like where the Wildcats are, and I it wouldn't shock me one bit if we see them in this same sort of stage in years to come. Uh, the next question, you know, they they win a Big 12 championship, they go to the Sugar Bowl. The next question is, can they compete for a national title? And as soon as we get to uh, playoff expansion, it's going to be easier for them to get in there. Uh, but I think that would have been in this as, year. I think as they continue to grow, uh, that absolutely that should become the expectation for Kansas State fans that this team can compete for national titles. You know, you mentioned that K-State did not hang with Alabama. I will slightly push back in this regard. 
Kansas State is driving. They have given up 14 straight, but they are driving down by four in the first in the first half. It's a long drive for them in the first half. Yeah. They convert multiple fourth downs. They stall out at the two on a throw that, you know, honestly, that's a throw that Will Howard, when he's playing well, can make. I didn't hate the call. It was a gutsy call, obviously. Alabama instead goes seven plays, 98 yards, and 51 seconds to score with 10 seconds left in the half. I thought that broke Kansas State's it back, yeah. and they were never in it in the second half. But, God, I was yelling at the TV screen when I was watching that. You have got to kick the field goal here. You cannot do that against, against of all teams, Alabama. I didn't no mind way. It. I didn't mind the I aggressive play I hated this decision. I, I, I really didn't because... Um, at that point, you're playing with house money. You're at the, you're in the Sugar Bowl against a really really top tier opponent, and I, it's a I, four I under, point game. Yeah, but I but I understand the points. Keep yourself in the game. I and get trust the mentality your defense to hold the field. I get the mentality from Chris Kleiman of you know what we're going to go balls out here, you know, and and we're going to let it all hang out. I don't have an issue with it on that stage. Um, showing off, trying to for a, a national audience, it didn't work out. And I'm not going to say that you know, sit here and say that you know, yeah, it's it's hard to play Monday morning quarterback and you know critique all the decisions. But if they if they had worked out, we would be talking about it like, man, those were really really great decisions. Wow, like Chris we Kleiman, were... I don't have any issue with it. I liked the gutsy play calling, uh, and it showed me that Chris Kleiman is willing to gamble with his team and re- willing to take shots with his team. But you can't always be the gambler. But, but look at, but look you have at to it be this the way. responsible one as the coach. Look look at it this way. I'm If I'm Chris Kleiman and I am looking at the personnel that the Crimson Tide have on offense and they've got a potential number one draft pick in Bryce Young at quarterback, who, by the way, had an incredible game in the Sugar Bowl. And I'm yeah, he was seeing, really good. And I'm seeing what he's doing and I'm thinking – yeah, this guy is for sure going to play on Sundays, and he's lighting us up so far. Uh, I don't know if I trust my defense to hold opposite of Bryce Young. We got to keep going for it. Uh, I get it. I understand it. I probably would have done the same thing. It's still an incredible season for Kansas State, no matter how you look at it. Will Howard showed massive improvement over the previous year. There's a lot to be excited about on the defense. VJ Payne really stood out to me in the game. You'd like to not have a safety lead you in tackles, but he made 10, had a sack. He really didn't play until the last three games of the season, showed up for Kansas and had seven in the Sunflower Showdown, but had a really good Big 12 championship game, played really well in the Super Bowl. 22 tackles out of his 27 were in the last three games. So you mentioned some of the defensive guys that are going to not be around Manhattan. You know, BJ Payne is going to be around Manhattan. Yeah. I think could be really valuable next year. And I, you know, I know that this is kind of a meme because they asked Texas and they said we're back, and that kind of you know lit up like a nuclear detonation in their face because Texas ain't back. However, flash, they're not yeah, back. Not back. I. At the risk of having this happen and, you know, like having somebody pour this purple power all over my face for saying this, I kind of feel like the cats are back. I don't know what Oklahoma is going to bring to the table in the Big 12 next year. It's 
God, by the way, just as an aside, it still feels like we're living in a bizarro world where Oklahoma is not going to be Texas, whatever. But Oklahoma not being, not playing Kansas State and Kansas and Oklahoma State every year in conference play, you still can't believe that. But, you know, it's going to be their last season in the conference ostensibly. Kansas State at this point with this coach, the success that they have had and the support that they have in Manhattan, it feels like to me Kansas State is set up to be the team in the league now. Well, you can't forget about TCU. Uh, they just played of for course. a national title. Um, but but that, who you know, won the Big 12 championship? It wasn't TCU. It was Kansas State. Um, you know, his performance in the Sugar Bowl notwithstanding, uh, I have the utmost confidence in Will Howard next season. Um, Where is, it? is Adrian it. Martinez, does he have eligibility? Yeah, He's that's out. what I thought. Yeah, this was his final year. He can't come back. Um, but I've got I've got all the confidence in Will Howard for next season. He proved himself this year that he can lead this team and he do can you remember, lead them to two victories. Do you remember what we thought when we said at the beginning of the year when we had our season preview and Will Howard's going to be the quarterback and you know Adrian Martinez had come down? But you know, it wasn't good feelings. It's unbelievable to me that I am thinking this way about Will Howard. And if I'm a Kansas State fan, I'm like, all right, we got Will Howard yeah. coming back next year. That It's shocking to me. And how much credit do you have to give Colin Klein for the Huge. improvement of, of – oh, unbelievable yeah, that, job for him. That development is there. And you know what? I think that there was a scenario for next season where Kansas State was prepping and planning probably early in the season where they thought, all right um, – we're going to have to go to Avery Johnson as a freshman sure. next year. Uh, they don't have to do that. They no, can, they should they can let that. him develop. They can let him develop. And Will Howard has got this team. Uh, and that's great. On top of that, at the running back position, yeah, they're losing Deuce Vaughn. But did you watch DJ Giddens this season? He was a great change of pace back for the Wildcats. Not quite as flashy as Deuce Vaughn is, uh, but is? he's solid. He's solid. And I think that he is fully capable of taking the mantle that Deuce Vaughn vacated by going to the NFL draft and having a tremendous amount of success next season. Uh, they've worked the transfer portal. They have brought in, and you know, of course, who knows how these things work out long term, but they brought in uh, a standout receiver from, from Iowa, the Hawkeyes, like their number one or number two guy will be a Wildcat next season. Uh, and he looks like a beast catching the football. I, I like where they are on both sides of the football. So, um, yeah, the, the, to say that they're back, uh, I don't think that that is false. I think that they absolutely should be expected to compete for another Big 12 title. Well, Kansas State into the Sugar Bowl was an incredible season for Kansas State as they certainly are back near the top of the Big 12 Conference. On to the Jayhawks in the Liberty Bowl. It started ugly and it looked bad for KU in their return to a bowl game for the first time in over a decade. But the Hawks found their early season form of stinking up the joint early and pulling you <laughs> off the edge of your seat late, falling in triple overtime to Arkansas, 55-53. We can talk about the game which KU played so poorly early, giving up 24 points to Arkansas in about two seconds. But to me, this segment, Tommy, is much more about what the team has been and where it's going. For Kansas State... It's been a while for them, too, and I don't want to overlook what they have done this year because it had been a while since they have been probably, what, 2012, 
when that team was in the national championship conversation. This one really was only ever on the very fringe of it, but it's been... Kansas State has had some level of success, even in between, in the interim. KU has had practically no success. So while this is this is much more this conversation about where the team has been and where it's going. Lance Leopold is here. He is going to be here. Kansas football won six games. Lance Leopold has eight wins, and that is more than the last two Kansas coaches combined. Tommy, outside of... Maybe the early 90s when you had a couple of trips to the Aloha Bowl and June Henley was running all over people and the Mark Mangino era, maybe that Orange Bowl win back in the or that Orange Bowl loss back in the 60s, whenever that was. It's hard to think of a better time to be a KU football fan when you look at the potential of what could be happening in Lawrence. It's all there and it's it's been growing all season long. Uh, and I think that's why uh, the entire Jayhawk community was so concerned about potentially losing Lance Leipold to another job as they should. Uh, be. And exactly. And so they did the right thing by locking him up uh, and, and keeping him in Lawrence and he wants to be there. Uh, and that's great. Uh, they ponied up with not just money for him, but money for his assistance. They and ponied up, they ponied up promises for facility renovations and new stadiums. And they better they get it up, done right now. Don't well, they wait. Will. They, they will, or Lance, or Lance, is or Lance Leipold can opt out of his <laughs> yeah. contract, right? Um, so I'm glad that that's in there. Uh, they they added money for NIL for his players. Uh, so they're doing all of the right things to continue the momentum growing. Um, and it cannot be overstated. Just the size and the scope of the rebuild for Kansas football. And the fact that he got the Jayhawks bull eligible in year number two. Um, it's unbelievable. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I've ever seen a better coaching job. Uh, it's, uh, as Manhattan I fans might suggest Bill Snyder. Did he get them bull eligible in year two? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, we can check that. I mean, I know he got them bull eligible fairly quickly, but I'm not sure he got them bull eligible in year two. It seems to me that there, there was a, little bit more of a steady rebuild um, over the course of like three or four years before he got them competing. Kansas in bowl State games. was not bowl eligible until uh, year three. They did not get into a bowl until year five. Uh, they won the Copper Bowl in 1993, finished uh, 20th in the country. So I think that everybody that follows Jayhawk football um, realizes that that rebuild was it happened quicker than what anybody had anticipated. I thought that there would be improvement. I thought there would be marked improvement from a year ago when they won two games. Um, and so when the over under came out at two and a half at the beginning of the season, I was like, hammer I'm the over because I, I so think that they can, I think I they can win at least three or four games. I didn't see six. I didn't see ranked in the, in the, in the nation top 25. I didn't see college. I didn't see college game day coming to town. Uh, I didn't see Jalen Daniels being considered for a Heisman early on. Like those were all the things that I didn't see coming, but they're there. And it's important for the Jayhawks to continue to ride the wave moving forward. Looking at the bowl game itself. um, Yeah. I mean, it was typical of what we've seen from the Jayhawks all season. They fall down early, uh, 
big time early. Their defense was atrocious early. Uh, in fact, their defense was pretty bad throughout the entire game, but <laughs> that's what we have come to expect from them. Yes. But yet they're never out of it and they claw back and they find different ways. There's no quit in them. That's the winning culture that Lance Leipold is developing in Lawrence. Uh, and the fact that they were able to get it back and, and there, there were wild plays late in the game that contributed oh, we gotta talk for, about the play. The fumble, I mean, you know, all of that stuff that got the Jayhawks back into it, and then all the, the overtimes. And I mean, then it was the pass, play, the pass play with Bean, which was very on brand for KU to call that. Could Worst Bean play call f- that I've ever seen. It was hated awful. it. I hated I, it. I think that he could have run for it. There were the, everybody that I saw online was saying just run it in, and it's a throw that he can make, but it's tight. He's coming in, you know. But you that's take, a weird. You, you take the ball out of the best player on the field's hands and give it to, and nothing against Jason Bean. I like Bean Jason had Bean. some great games. <clears throat> he they wouldn't be bowl eligible without Jason Bean. So I'm you know no no uh, knock on him here, but. He's cold. He hadn't thrown a pass the entire he, game. He airmailed it. He airmailed it. And you you take the ball out of Jalen Daniels' hands and give it to Jason Bean. Awful play call. Uh, that makes me mad. The one uh, just thing even that I thought, it, but in, t- in terms of the awful play call, when you have a guy who's coming in cold off the bench, don't you want to give him a ball that he can throw? Because that ball, he is coming from wide receiver. He's going right. all the way across, and then that was that play called for touch. He had to finesse that ball. I feel right. like if you're going to run something, it's got to be something that Bean can just try to well, and get was, in there. It was gimmicky. I mean, there, there's oh, no other. Way sure. around it. Um, but I also recognize, and Lance Leipold said this after the game, like they only have so many two-point conversion plays, and they had already ran all of them. I get that, but you also sure. probably have like some third and short. Fourth plays, and goal, yeah. Fourth and goal. Like you probably have some of those, you know, dialed up somewhere that you could have done instead of a you know a gimmick like jet sweep toss to Jason Bean, who then throws it 10 yards, 10 rows into the crowd. Um, you know, so I hate that. And I hate that it ended that way for the Jayhawks. Um, but man, the, the fight that they showed was indicative of the fight that they've shown all season long, um, where even when it looks like they're going to get blown out of the water, they find ways to get back into it. And more often than not this season, they they did. They got back into games and they won games. Yes. Probably the only comeback that they didn't complete was Baylor and the bowl yes. game. But other than that, there were some come from behind victories that we saw. I mean, early in the season, West Virginia on the road, Houston on the road, both come from behind victories. Um, you know, and so showing that gives me a lot of hope for the future. Hopefully next year the running game will be a little bit more consistent. Obviously for the offense, that was probably the unit that sustained by far the most injuries last year. You've got Jalen Daniels back. The running back room should be stacked in depth next year, but the defense must be better. I think they show that they can be. Brian Borland's the defensive coordinator, has got some work to do without a doubt because in my opinion, in so many of these games, KU's game plan has been awful. It's been terrible such as against TCU, when apparently we did not point out Quinton Johnston number one on the scouting report. And they literally threw the ball to him every time, and we didn't make an adjustment. We did not stop anything. It was infuriating. They played poorly so many times early in several games. KU has got to get off to better starts in games defensively. And Borland 
shown that the positive spin on that, Borland was able to make some incredible adjustments. You look at Baylor. Baylor scored one non-field goal in the second half. Kansas State, to a lesser extent. Look at the Arkansas game. I know you said they were bad throughout, but look at the third and fourth quarter. Look at it. If you take away all the points that were scored in the three overtimes and then look at the defense in the second half, it was demonstrably better, much better. But KU has been blown out in so many first quarters. The offense, obviously, that's been fixed. Obviously, you just have to fine-tune, continue to bring guys in, recruit like you love to talk about every show. But all those things are going to make Kansas better, just refinement, and it's going to be an extra year in the system for Jalen Daniels, for the running backs. But defensively, they have got to be better next year. Look, I I think that if you want to put a positive spin on the defense for this season and find a positive word to describe them, you can use the word opportunistic. I've used that word before. Um, Because that was, I think that was a lot of what Brian Borland and the Jayhawks realized about that defensive unit was just simply, hey, uh, they're not going to be able to shut you down for four quarters. But what they can do is they can be ball hawks. They can take away the the football. Um, They can be opportunistic at times when needed. And so I think that that is uh, a positive spin defensively, but they've got to move from just being opportunistic and winning turnover battles to actually being able to play shutdown defense. I know that you hate the recruiting and I understand why, because it doesn't matter until they actually put on the shoulder pads and make an impact on the field. I, I don't hate it. that they're doing it. I recognize but, it. But but I yeah, will say following it, no. I will say that I think that you can put a little bit more emphasis on the transfer portal because I think there's more of a, uh, more of a potential for guys to be impact players right away. Sure. And I don't know if you saw this, but Kansas State is or Kansas, I'm sorry, the Jayhawks are ranked, I believe, in the top 25 for incoming transfer portal class for next season nationally. Uh, And so we'll see if that translates into immediate on-field impact. But we're not talking about true freshmen coming in and being developed and what they might look like two or three years. We're talking about guys that, in some cases, have made impacts at their former schools right now and are coming into Kansas. So I, I think that that should help, and a lot of those guys are on the defensive side of the ball, so we'll see. Hopefully it's meaning a lot for KU in the offseason in terms of recruiting, as you said, fundraising, and finally that stadium upgrade at long last and hopefully Kansas selling some season tickets too. A couple more pieces of business to take care of this week. It's time to... I almost forgot that we had to do this at the end of every show. It's time to hear those familiar sounds, hit the music, and go for our Wichita whip around. Time to whip. Tommy, I'm going to start first with the Wichita Eagle naming its top 11 and all-metro football team finally for 2022. No surprise that Dylan Edwards of Derby, Avery Johnson of Mays, both made the top 11. Jack Krause and Riley Marks of that one school that Weston liked. I just, I, you know, he he talked about it so infrequently. I just, you know, I wish he would have talked about it more. God. I don't know. They they also got the nod as seniors. uh, Four straight 3A title-winning Indians. Several City League guys were named to the uh, all sit, all Metro team if you go from top to bottom. So great to see those guys. Uh, Dylan Edwards, by the way, has switched his recruitment about 100. Do we know where he's going yet? Is Colorado. He, he's he's Colorado. doing Coach, Coach Prime. Uh, Dion, uh, baby. 
Are we sure? Is that is yeah. that it? Or is he going to go? He signed that, on the dotted line. He's oh, there. Well, okay. So he's actually inked there now. I figured that Florida's going to come in off the top rope like a WWE match or something. But obviously, great to see some of those local guys in the ABCTL have some good success and be recognized for that. How about your Wichita Whip Around story, Tommy? I'm going to focus on baseball uh, in Wichita. Uh, I think that it is important to mention that Jay Miller has returned to the Wichita wind surge and is their new president, their their old new president or their new old president. Regardless, he takes over leadership uh, of the team. In fact, I, I don't know if, did we mention on the last episode that the team was being sold? We did, I, don't I believe know. so. Okay. So as part of that so process, long. as part of that process, Jay Miller, who was the original president, I believe, of the wind surge when they came to town with Lou Schweckheimer, they were partners. Uh, and then he left very shortly after Lou Schweckheimer passed away. I believe if that's, if I've got the timeline, correct, uh, he has returned. And so he will be the new president of wind surge baseball moving forward. That's great because he is, uh, kind of the, the, main connection remaining to Lou Schweckheimer, who was the visionary of bringing affiliated baseball back to Wichita. So Jay Miller uh, returns as president of the wind surge. They've already announced that they're going to be lowering ticket pricing for this upcoming year. Good. Uh, so I think that, I think that's good. Uh, their season ticket plans, their prices are dropping uh, due in part to Jay Miller coming in and saying, we're going to do this the right way. Uh, the hidden fees are gone. Uh, some of those things that everybody was up in arms about for good reason. Uh, yeah. looks like those are going away under Jay Miller's leadership. So that's one. And then the other thing, baseball related, the NBC World Series. I know that was going to be, yeah, sure. Yep. We'll they go ahead and make this our first edition here. Yep. They have uh, inked a new deal with X Stadium. And so they will be playing all their games in Wichita for the next two seasons, which, you know, I, I know we've talked about before. Hopefully, long term, they end up at least some of the games at Riverfront. But at with least, the new ownership group, it I sounds think it's like more likely. Yes, they but, they appear to be much more wanting to be connected. Yes, the old absolutely. ownership group kind of it seemed like they were on their ivory tower looking down. Totally agree. Yeah, at us, it seems like these guys want local events. They want to bring those in. So I am hopeful that at, at some point the entire yeah. tournament will be there as it should be. And I get it because I, I saw people, you know, on social media, like, can't believe that, you know, it's not going to be at Riverfront for the next two years. And OK, but you also have to recognize that minor league baseball sets their schedules in advance. And I'm sure at least for this upcoming season, the wind surge already know their schedule. Right. Oh, and yeah. So yes. to be able to try to fit in games for the I mean, I remember back in the day when the Wranglers or the Wingnuts would go on like two or three week long road trips when the NBC World Series would come to town at Lawrence Dumont. Uh, and eventually you might be able to do that with the wind surge. Yeah, it can be but done. But not, not right now you can't. No. So at the very least, I am grateful and I'm glad that all the games are coming back to Wichita. Nothing against Hutchinson. It's a nice place, but the NBC World Series is Wichita. And 100%. so in the last couple of years, when they had split the sites between Hutch and Wichita, didn't like it. I'm glad Just that it's fully returning. It. I'm glad it's fully returning to Wichita. I have no other additions, corrections, retractions. Anything else for you, Tommy? Well, yeah, I feel I would like to take a few minutes to rant a little bit if I can. Well, I wanted, I did want before we left, I, because 
college basketball, we are in the swing of it. And I did think, even though we're not doing a real segment on each team, um, we're going to be covering them a ton. So I did think we should run down and at least give a quick brief look of how things are going. Kansas basketball, I would say at this point, top 10 in the country, about what we thought it would be. Number two. Kate, yeah, number two in the country. Kansas State basketball, about the opposite of what you thought that it would be. An incredible 14-1 start to the season. The best start in program history. They're in the top 15 after wins over number 24 West Virginia and number 6 Texas. By the way, that February game, K-State at KU, is scheduled to be on ESPN+. Plus. Somebody wake up at ESPN and change it. I know you thought Kansas State was going to be trash coming into the year. They're, you're going to put a top 15 matchup in the Sunflower Showdown. The biggest KU and state. Iowa State this weekend is a top 15 matchup, and it's on the plus. So uh, apparently they don't care, so it's not going to happen. But that that's so dumb that they have no flexibility. On the other hand, Wichita State, 8-8, eight and eight, they finally got a win on American Athletic Conference play at South Florida last time out to go to 1-3. and three. If the rumblings were starting before the season for Isaac Brown, they've got to be trembling a little bit right yeah. now. So your thoughts on college basketball, KU, Kansas State, Wichita State, whatever you got here, Tommy. Sure. I thought we had we had to talk something about college yeah. basketball. We couldn't get out of the show without that. Well, let me run down uh, all three of them, and, and I'll start with KU, and, and you can jump in uh, also sure. with your thoughts. But with KU, yeah, everything that we thought they would be. Um, but I, maybe, I think maybe that, even slightly better maybe, than maybe I slightly thought better be, because yeah. I, I didn't necessarily think that they could be a legitimate national title contender to repeat. I thought that they were, they would have a chance, but I didn't think that they would be like in the conversation as they're in the know, one of the favorites. And I think that they. They are right now, without a doubt. And a lot of that, I think, comes to the emergence of uh, Dewan Harris and also K.J. Adams. Both of those guys have played tremendously to start the season. K.J. Was Dick, a freak he, against Oklahoma. Freak. Grady Dick is, is great. And we, we know that Grady Dick is an All-American. We know that Grady Dick is a lottery pick. Uh, Jalen Wilson has been around for a long time, and we know that he's going to be a double-double machine, you know, for the <laughs> yes, most part. Yes. Um, but Dewan Harris developing into one of, if not the best point point guards in the country and KJ Adams, despite giving up three or four inches at the five position is one of the best bigs in the country right now. And just with the energy that he has and being able to stretch the floor, um, that's a, that's a huge weapon and uh, they've needed him in several games, including the most recent one inside Allen Fieldhouse against Oklahoma. The Jayhawks don't win that game without KJ Adams. So yeah, he um, had a, what was it like an 18 to two run? or 18-4 yeah. run to end the game. And KU won that game despite not scoring a field goal for 12 minutes. So let's not, you know, just gloss over the fact that there are still some issues with the team. Sure. In oh, terms and by of- the way, they were also 9 of 30 on layups in the game. I don't know if that's, you saw that. That's uh, real bad is what we would say. 9 of 30 that, shooting yeah. bunnies. Uh, so that was not good. Uh, but of course, the Jayhawks are 4-0 in Big 12 play. Uh, the Big 12 in general is a gauntlet. It is a juggernaut. Uh, I don't think that it would be out of the question for 9 of 10 teams to make the uh, NCAA tournament. I really don't. At this point right now, it is a stacked conference, basically from top to bottom. The thing that you have to be impressed about with Dewan Harris, first of all, I love how balanced of scoring this team has. You've got five guys that score at least nine points and four that score at least ten. Jalen Wilson's averaging twenty a game. He is he's 
he's stupid right now. He's averaging 20 and 9. He should be close to a first team All American. But Dewan Harris has second with 33 steals. And he's got 100 assists to 29 turnovers. Pretty it's good. like four and a half to one. Are you joking? Pretty That's pretty insane. Yeah, he's pretty in, he's playing insane right now. And the fact that he's not like has he is he on the koozie list yet? Because the I fact that he wasn't for like the first two months of the season, like this guy you must be laced with drugs if you are not understanding what this guy is doing right and, now. And what what I love about this team is that, like I mentioned before, Jalen Wilson is a known commodity. Grady Dick has been hyped since high school. Kevin McCuller had a great career at Texas Tech. So those three out of the starting five, you're like, all right, we kind of know what we're getting with these guys. But Dewan Harris, his development, and KJ Adams, I was thinking at the beginning of the season, like, man, I sure hope that somebody like Zuby Ejiofor, Ernest Uday, or Zach Clements, or Cam Martin can come in and be able to, you know, play well enough to maybe get that starting five position because I'm just concerned about KJ Adams giving up so many inches. I'm not concerned anymore. He what gets KJ them Adams back is when doing, he jumps. It's when amazing. He jumps, he it's gets great. them back. He looks like he could be a, a freaking defensive end in the NFL. Uh, and it's, it's Maybe awesome. He will be. And he's fast and he's he's quick and he's got the, the motor to be able to stretch the floor, which Kansas hasn't had at that position in a long time. I love David McCormick. Didn't have that motor. No. Udoka Azabuke no. didn't have that motor. Not so at all. this is a different kind of five, a different kind of big that Bill Self has had in a while, and I'm all here for it. So man, if he's got good hands, can you imagine him being a tight end in the NFL? Man, that's uh, that, yeah. how about that's great. I mean let's go Wichita no, State. Okay, you want to go Wichita State? I want to go Wichita I was, State. I was gonna go to Kansas State. Uh, Wichita State. I want to end on Kansas State, but Wichita You're State. You're on a positive note. Sure, uh, but with with Wichita State. Very simply, uh, they just don't have an identity. And unfortunately, that identity should be really hard-nosed defense. And it's not always there. When it's there and they can grind out victories, cool. That's great. Uh, But too often, it's not there. And I'm concerned about the lack of adjustment that Isaac Brown uh, seems to struggle with in-game. Where things don't work and they don't really do anything to change it. Like they keep going back to the well. I think it was the Oklahoma state game inside and trust bank arena. When the shockers were what? Like two of 21 shooting the three. It was, and brutal. it was real bad. And they were like one of one of 12, 21, one of 21. That's right. One of 21 shooting the three. And I don't know, I'm not a college basketball coach, but if I were, uh, I think at some point I probably would have been like, okay, this isn't working. Maybe we need to try to do something differently. Uh, And that's just not really there with the Shockers. We know that they have trouble scoring at times and they have long scoring droughts at times. That's to be expected. But what I would love to see is just some kind of in-game adjustment. Like, let's try to find another way to get the ball in the hoop. Let's try to go to somebody else. Thank goodness for walk-on sensation Melvion Flanagan because the Shocker <laughs> season would be completely done if it wasn't for him. They don't win that non-conference game against Longwood. They probably don't win against, I think it was Mississippi Valley State, the next game without Melvion Flanagan. And they don't win just over the weekend against South Florida without Melvion Flanagan. So, there are some significant issues. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, you look at how this team is comprised right now. This is a team that you look at their shot-making ability. They are shooting just 42% 
from the field and just 30% from the three-point line, yet over a third of their shots are threes. That's not what you want when you're no. if if you're not shooting 30%, you should not be taking a third of your shots as threes and this team is also getting outshot at the free throw line. They're 68% free throw shooting team as well. Craig Porter Jr. has scored under 10 points in 3 of his last 4 games. He's been banged up. Flanagan has been really good as you mentioned, kind of a godsend, but the Shockers you know, you when you have thought about other teams that Wichita State has had, you've thought about defense and rebounding. This team gets out rebounded on average. Yeah. On, a, yeah. on average, they get out rebounded. So, and on, I, on top of that, too, uh, you know, if they can hold an opponent in, I mean, geez, the 40s or the low 50s, they lost a UCF 52 45. I know, but what I'm that saying is that what I'm saying is that the margin of error is so small it's for nothing. the Shockers it's zero. to win that if they give up any more than, I don't know, 50 points on any given night, they're probably not going to win. And so you have got to play lockdown defense. Like, you have to because you can't count on anybody to score. You can't count on this team. Now, they've done it a few times, but you can't count on them to consistently score in the 60s and 70s. That's not the way this team is built. And so because of that, if you can't guarantee it and you can't count on it, you've got to play good defense. And they just haven't done that at times. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I honestly, I know we're in conference play right now. Um, they play a, a really poor Tulsa team next and they, yeah, they should Saturday. win that, you would think. They better um, win that. But man, I just don't, you look through the conference schedule, I'm not sure that there's really any game left where you're like, all right, you know, they're going to get that one. Um, hopefully they do. Uh, but I think at best, a lot of these are coin flips, and it depends on which kind of Shocker squad we see show up. There are three games this year that the Shockers have allowed 60-plus points and won. Tarleton State, which has been Division One for like 15 minutes. Longwood, I don't even know what conference they're in. And South Florida, which is you know not nearly as good as South Florida has been in the past. So yeah, you know we'll have some discussions about Isaac Brown, his future. I'm sure the Shocker fans already are having those discussions. But for right now, obviously the Shockers had lost four of five. That was almost a must win to start turning oh, around yeah. the season against South Florida on the road. Once again, they've got Tulsa coming up on Saturday. So we end on a positive note, obviously, as you requested with Kansas State. I would have told somebody that they were living in a different reality if they would have told me that Kansas State would be January 11th and you've got one win or one loss. I would have said, you are dreaming. And we both love Coach Jerome Tang. Yep. Amazing hire. We loved it from the second that he was hired, from the second that they said that they, you know, from the fact that he was being rumored, we were like, Tang is our guy. So we love Jerome Tang on this program. Keontae Johnson has played amazing. Marquise Noel has been amazing. Those two guys averaging 17 points per game. Two All-Americans. As far I, as I'm concerned, two All-Americans. They could be. And, you know, especially Johnson. I, you know, I have to apologize. I did not think Keontae Johnson was this good. 
But he is. I didn't think Deontay Johnson would play basketball again. (laughs) He's shooting 40% from the three. He's shooting 57% from the field. I mean, if he can hit a free throw, he might have a chance to go 50, 40, 90 this year. Yeah. So how Kansas State is playing, uh, it's, it's, it's shocking. They they are rebounding well. They're holding opponents to 66 points per game, and you can't say anymore. Through the first you know two months of the season, you could say, well, they they don't have to play at anybody, and they played a poo poo schedule. I get that. That's probably the kind of team that they thought they were going to have. Now they've beaten top 25 West Virginia and a number 10 Texas team, albeit one in a bit of turmoil because of Chris Beard's shenanigans, but still a very talented roster. They, Kansas State they, has brought the goods when it mattered at this they point. They went into Austin and hung 116 points on the Longhorns <laughs> in Austin. Oh, yeah, and by the way, over the weekend, they went into Waco and Jerome Tang beat his former boss, Scott Drew. I mean, what are we doing here? This is incredible. It's and unbelievable. Look, I, I am a KU fan, and I have been for a long time. Uh, anybody what? who listens to you? this show. Kansas, any, a KU anybody, fan? Anybody who listens to this show knows that you and I are KU guys. I love Jerome Tang. Yeah, uh, who they, wouldn't? They, they played Oklahoma State on Tuesday night inside Bramlage. Uh, I don't love Bramlage, but I understand that when it gets full, it gets loud. I don't oh, think the it's atmosphere anything. is amazing. I don't the think fans it's have- like. I don't think it's anything incredible, but like, I get it. I understand the appeal of Bramlage, but it was full because of what the Wildcats have done. Jerome Tang has reinvigorated the community and the fan base. Yes. And I watched, it was a video on social media. I watched Jerome Tang after the win on Tuesday night, do the Wabash cannonball on the court (laughs) with the crowd. And I was jacked. I'm like, this is awesome. And I don't like K-State, but I'm like, this is awesome. Can you imagine and Bruce Weber doing the Wabash no, Cannonball? No. I mean, and just the energy and enthusiasm that he brings. And the signs were there, Blake. Like, I really believe that they were when they hired him. Because we saw that energy and enthusiasm yes. from the press conference, right? You know what this is? You know what? I just came up with it. Do you know exactly what this is? This is Ron Prince, except it works. And Ron Prince comes up and is like, don't forget your power towel. He wants to be this guy. Right. Jerome Tang is, is that, that guy. guy. Yeah. He is that guy. And so I think the only thing that hold that held people back at that time was, man, this seems like a high character guy and a hell of a coach. And just the energy he brings is awesome. But we got to see the roster first. Yeah, is it and real? It's gonna take. It's gonna take a little bit of time for them to gel. It's a bunch of newcomers. They only returned. You know, uh, they only they only returned Marquise Noel and Ish Masad. Who, who else do they have? Keontae Johnson. Okay, can he actually play anymore? Like all of these question marks. Sure, he can. He definitely yes. can. So that's all there. And I couldn't be more happy for the Wildcat community because they have, they suffered through a long time of Bruce Weber and what Jerome Tang did. And Bruce Weber had success. Don't get me wrong. It's a great season. Big 12 championships, but his personality, he never gelled really fully with the K-State community. Jerome Tang has from day one jumped in and embraced the community and they embraced him back. Now where I want to rant for a second is because of them embracing him, they are very, very, very protective of him. And it is 
It not unlike wipe. it is not unlike Lance Leipold in Kansas, where you start to have a lot of success, and all of a sudden rumors start going like, how long is he going to be there? Are there going to be other teams that are going to be looking into him? And all all I did on social media was suggest that Texas ought to call Jerome Tang and see if he's interested and maybe coming into Austin and coaching the Longhorns after they let go of Chris Beard. And I merely suggested it on social media. And I was the most hated man on Kansas State Twitter (laughs) for probably 48 hours for merely suggesting it. I don't even think he's necessarily going to go anywhere. He he seems very happy in Manhattan, but Texas would be foolish to not call him. Your boy, Jeff Goodman, put out an article that said Jerome Tang is a Texas, not necessarily like he's reached out to Texas, but that he's on a list. He's making the rounds in the media as a guy that Texas is going to or is looking at. at And newsflash to all of the Wildcat fans out there. It's not just going to be Texas that will potentially be coming after your coach. It will be any high major basketball program with the head coach opening after this season, assuming that this level of success keeps up. And so Gene Taylor, the athletic director, has to pay Chris Kleiman, has to pay Chris Kleiman's assistants, and is probably going to have to pay Jerome Tang. That's yeah, a good thing, right? Like you, the, the Wildcats are entering into a time where it's a it's a good time to be a football and basketball fan for the Wildcats. Oh, absolutely. I, but I like Jerome Tang, and I want to see him in Manhattan because I want to see high-caliber basketball matchups between the Jayhawks and the Wildcats. I absolutely do. So I don't want to see Jerome Tang go anywhere else, but I think that it is foolish to think that he will not be near or at the top of pretty much everybody's wish list if this success continues. Well, and the same thing just happened. I mean, it's amazing how closely this resembles Lance Leopold and Lawrence, who was linked to the Wisconsin job, linked to the Nebraska job, linked to a couple of other jobs. You know, people were, Lance Leopold was in demand. There was pressure put on Thomas Goff. Like, you've got to get this done for yep. Lance Leopold, or you're not going to be, you know, Leopold is not going to be your coach next year. So, you know, I think it's just natural that it's going to happen. It may be a little bit abrasive to Kansas State fans just because we have seen this happen before. Huggins comes in one year. They yep. really start to turn things around. They have a great season. You could see the potential, and then Huggins goes off to West Virginia, and it looks like that's where he's going to be for the rest of his career. But you know, just because it's happened before, maybe that's the, the reason for the reaction of, man, this is one and done is not going to happen to us again, is it? Yeah, I don't know if it will or not. And, you know, the, I think the only thing that um, – you know, might make Kansas State fans a little bit nervous is Tang was asked about that uh, because it's be it's become big news. Like, of course, if you know he's he's a Texas guy, he was in Waco for 19 years, uh, and so it just would seem like a natural fit to potentially want to go back to the Longhorns. And he was asked about it, and he kind of gave the same non-answer answer that Lance Leipold did this fall. Of course, fall. he did. But you kind of have to. You think to, these guys right? don't have agents? Come on. Sure, you think they're going to tell them to stay? Oh, well, there's no way I'm going to go. Yeah, as of soon as not. you as soon as you make a definitive answer, you've locked yourself in to that stance. And then you potentially look like an asshole. Exactly. Even when you do leave. It's kind of like Roy Williams, you know, the whole yes. situation with him. And then 
you know, I'm, I'm never going. And then he left and then he went, you know, you kind of look like an ass for a while, you know, yeah. if you do that. So like 20 years, coaches, so coaches get really good at the non answer answer. I'm very happy where I am right now. I'm not interested in talking about this. That's kind of what Jerome Tang did. So um, I just think that it's fool's gold for Kansas state fans to just think that there's not going to be another team out there that is willing to jump in and pony up what it would take to get Jerome Tang to leave Manhattan. Will it be next season? I don't know. I don't think so, but you never know. Other thing that we probably should mention right now, even though they have lost back-to-back games, but University of Kansas women's basketball team was surprisingly in the top 25. Brandon Schneider, of course, a long time at Emporia State, leading the Lady Hornets to the top of the MIAA, had a ton of success there was kind of on his last legs. A lot of people thought at Kansas going into last season, he gets the Jayhawks pretty unexpectedly to the Big 12 tournament, and they had an incredible start, a 12-1 and start to this season with their only loss coming in triple overtime at Nebraska at the new Pinnacle Bank Arena. I guess it's new to me. It, wasn't, it didn't even exist when I worked in Nebraska. Uh, but now back-to-back losses to Baylor and Texas, you know, which normally Baylor and Texas, pretty solid women's basketball programs, but uh, this is an incredible start for him. They've got Oklahoma coming up another road trip on January 14th, but you know, for Brandon Schneider and, and Kansas women's basketball, it has certainly been an incredible start to that season as well. Yeah, there have been a lot of question marks about could Brandon Schneider get this program back to postseason play? Uh, and I think that even when he was hired, uh, there were questions about that. Like, okay, he's never been a coach at the D1 level. Sure. Um, even though he had a lot of success down the road in Emporia, can that translate to a, a Big 12 program? And it took a while. And I think that there, I think that there were there were starting to be conversations. Kansas about, was overly patient. I will say yeah, that. I think so. Like, all right, they did a lot of programs tried, that would have said, right, yeah, it's over. We tried. We waited. We and and you know, good for him. Like that's, you know, tip of the cap to Brandon Schneider for making it work this season. Um, I definitely want to see them continue that because I think that postseason play, I mean, the, the, the lady Jayhawks, we've seen what it looks like when they can make the tournament and when they have successful years. Um, it just hasn't happened in a while. So hopefully he can keep, he can keep that going. Well, hopefully we can keep it going. We are back for 2023 episodes every week on the show through the end of March Madness. And then, of course, for the start of Kansas City Royals baseball. So it's going to be a very busy couple of months for us here on the show. But right now, it's time to wrap up episode number 108. When we come back in a couple of weeks, we'll have full Chiefs coverage and also a check going into the end of January on where the Jayhawks, where the Shockers, and where the Wildcats are in terms of the American Conference and the Big 12 Conference. So we will look to see you guys in a couple of weeks. Appreciate you liking, sharing, subscribing the show on your favorite platform really helps us out, and we very much appreciate it. You can follow the show if you'd like to interact with us at CogPod on Twitter. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, who we hope they had a great Christmas and New Year as well, uh, where can they follow you on Twitter to make you, again, the most hated man in Kansas sports? Well, the good thing is that I don't think I'm I'm the most hated K-State Twitter I know that we got to get people to your platform so we yeah, can that, get you back to the top. There was a guy, there was a, an AP voter that 
uh, this last week still had Kansas State unranked. Uh, and so he quickly took the crown away from me, and he's now the most hated man uh, on K-State Twitter. So I, I'm, I'm good. I'm glad that that's, that's gone now. Uh, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Tweets from Tommy. You can keep your hate all to yourself or send it Tommy's way. I am at B.E. Cripps on Twitter. We'll see you next week to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs and college basketball. We'll be dominating our conversations as well. So we'll see you then. Until next time, Blake Cripps saying, for Tommy Caster, this has been the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G pod.